Well, if you are new here at the Potter's House, uh, we, we do welcome you, as Brian welcomed you earlier, and, and just to introduce myself, my name is Brian McKenzie, I have the privilege of serving one, as the elder, one of the elders here at the Potter's House, and also have the privilege to um, preach a couple times a month as well, and share this great responsibility with Jay and with the rest of the elders. Um, and I, I just well, want to say thank you to so many of you. Um, my 11, soon-to-be 12-year-old son had spinal surgery this week, and named James Robert, and um, thank you for praying. What a witness. So they put two screws in his L5. Um, I won't give you more with all the, the, the reading I've been doing on all this medical stuff, but uh, the surgeon came out afterward to meet with my wife and I, and just, uh, he was just amazed. He goes, I knew this was, I thought this was going to be one of my hardest ever cases because the age of James Robert, because he had two fractures, where they were, the size of them. And he said, you won't believe it. He said, I put my guide, guiding wire down in there and, and it hit the spot perfect both sides the first time. He said, I just couldn't believe it. He just kept on trying try everything. He said, I just thought it was going to be the most challenging one I'd done in a long time and it should have been, but it wasn't. And we had let, we'd prayed with him before. I don't know where he was with the Lord, but we prayed with him before the surgery. And, and he, so we told you we had a lot of people praying. And he said they must have been. And then we prayed with him just to give thanks to God, you know. And I think he had tears in his eyes just to see the work of God. And, you know, I don't get all the prayer stuff. You know, I don't understand how all that works, but it does somehow. God uses that to accomplish his ends. And just thank you for praying for my son. I'm crying not because I'm sad for James Robert. He's going to be fine, but I'm just in, in joy of what God does through his people. And thank you for loving us and our family. Thank you for those who have already brought meals and those who I know are going to. If you want me to make requests, let me know. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he's doing pretty well. He's in some pain and discomfort. He's going to be like that for a little while and really a five-month recovery process in this, too. That's going to be the hard part. The doctor told James Robert before he left, he said, hey, I did my part, which was easy in some ways. Now you got to do your part, which is hard, which is to be still for five months. And if you know my son, any son, boy that's 11 or 12 years old, that's going to be hard. So continue to pray for James Robert. Well, with that said, let's begin our time this morning, and we're going to continue our study through Paul's first letter to Timothy, and we have entitled this, Be Strong in Grace, and this morning is part 27, and entitled, Train Yourself to Be Godly. Train Yourself to Be Godly. And, and please, I would encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do have a copy of God's Word, to take it out, turn to 1 Timothy, that's about two-thirds of the way through uh, your New Testament, which is the second part of your Bible, and uh, we'll be looking at that here in just a few minutes, just examining those, but before we do that, I want to review a little bit from last week. Last week, we examined from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6, uh, where we, we looked at that and we saw five questions <laughs> which enabled us to understand the lies of the latter days so that we could stand firm in the truth of God's word for his glory. So the first question, we're just going to get, throw this up here for you. The first question that we asked and answered was, what are the latter or the later days? Uh, we, we discovered from our text there in, in verse 1, that the later or the latter days in the New Testament it, as a whole are days and times between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, All right? The first coming, and sometimes around, around Christmas we use the word advent. That just means coming, 
all right? The Advent season, the coming of Christ. Just listen, well, there's going to be another Advent season because he's coming again. So the latter days or the later days are the, the, the days between those. So when, when Paul was writing this to Timothy and the people Timothy was ministering to there in the church of Ephesus, they were already in the, the, the latter days. And guess what? So are we. We're in the latter days. Those are the days between the, the two comings. The next question we asked and answered was, what will happen in the latter days? And we discovered that some people um, in, in the church, not just in the church of Ephesus, but all over the, where the gospel had spread, had, they had heard the gospel. They had believed intellectually. Remember, they believed the back of the facts about Jesus on the back of his football or baseball card. Jesus did this, this. Okay, I believe that. All right? But they had never really truly trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior from sin. They were there part of the church visibly, but not internally, not really part of the church. And it says in the latter days that these, these people like that, they'll depart. They'll leave. The word is fall away. But it means they'll deliberately walk away and depart from, the, from, from what they had heard. All right, Why? Because they'll devote themselves, it said, to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Which brings us to our third question, who are the liars? And we learned the liars are people who are... Planted, who planted themselves purposely among the visible church and they began to tell lies that would cause these people who didn't know Christ to walk away, to depart from what they had heard. And they were marked out by Satan and used by Satan and his evil forces to deceive people. The fourth question was, what are the lies? And we saw this in verses three through five. And, and the lies were men who, it says, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. Basically, they were teaching that if a person denied certain physical things, that they would be made right with God, or the, the word we like to use in, in church and biblical too, they were saved, all right? Saved from the penalty of sin if they would just abstain from certain physical things. Like, here he uses example, marriage and abstaining from certain things foods. And, you know, this is just a salvation by works, that we work our way to make ourselves right with God. And, and we, we, we also talked about that this question that we asked, what are the lies, is really just one question. It's better stated, what is the lie? And the lie is anything that teaches that we are made right with God, saved from the penalty of our sin, that we're made right with God in any way other than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Anything that teaches something other than that, that we work our way. It's Jesus did this, and then we'll do this, this, and this, and that makes us right with God. That's false. It's a lie. Anything that would teach that is a lie. So we saw all the lies. And the fifth question is, who is to combat the lie? And we, we noticed from verse 6 that the answer to that was also the answer from a couple weeks ago when Jay taught who is the pillar and foundation uh, of the truth. And the answer was, I am and we are. We are called to combat the lies. And then how do we combat the lies in verse 6? And we discover from that that we combat the lies from the truth of God's word. And that leads us to our passage this morning. Uh, and I'd like to ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. And <clears throat> I was lovingly encouraged last week to slow down a little bit when I read. So I'm going to try to slow down a little bit when I read. Hey, hey, a lot of you laugh, so one person was like Peter, bold enough to say something, okay? And I appreciate them saying something, because I want to make sure that we can read this together. Brian, not reading it by himself. Okay, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Here we go. In pointing out these things to the brethren, 
you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when we read this aloud, that we're actually hearing your words. We're hearing you speak to us when we read this aloud. We, we just thank you that you give us your word. And now we pray again that you would do with your word what only you can do, that you would plant it deep within us. Lord, that you would use it to make us more like your son. Lord, that you would use it for some of us to draw us into a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, as we begin to unpack these verses, if you're looking hopefully there at your copy of God's Word, uh, I pointed out last week that verse 6 was a transition verse. Right? So we covered verse 6 in some ways last week. We're going to cover it again because it's a transition verse. And this phrase, in pointing out these things, it points back to verses 1 through 5. And it points specifically in, in, in the context here, it points forward to verses 7 and 8 and really beyond that, right? So it points back and it points forward these things, all right? And, and it ties these truths together. I also want to point out one of the main motivations for me to teach this passage here this morning as it was last week. Look at verse 6 there, all right? It says, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, and, and, and I truly do desire to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I, I want to be that. So again, and, and Jay wants to be that. All of our elders who teach want to be that. We want to be good servants of Christ Jesus. So in doing that, we must point out these things. And in particular here, it's these verses surrounding that phrase, but as a whole, it's the whole counsel of God's word. We want to point out these things. And that's why we teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. So that way we can't skip over things. We can't pick like, like our favorite verse over here that really doesn't have to do with anything hard or challenging or difficult. We can't do that. Because as I mentioned last week, if I did that, if I skipped any of these verses, there would be a mutiny, I guarantee you, with some of you. Hey, 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 how about verse number seven? You lift that out. Come on. Because we don't do that. Because we're going to deal with all of it because it's all important. So I really do want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's why we're going to look at these verses again. But before we dig into our passage this morning, let me just give you a warning here. Last week I gave you a warning. Hey, it was difficult. There were some hard things to hear last week. I understand that. But this week I want to give you another kind of warning. You're probably not going to walk out of here and go, wow, that was some amazing. I've never heard that before. That was the most, that was the most, is that the most amazing thing you've ever heard in your life? Unbelievable. You're not going to do that this morning. You're just not going to do that. My guess is most of us, now you might if this is the first time you've heard it, but most of us are not going to walk out, we're going to, you're going to walk out, I've heard that before. And you might be even saying that when we get going. Well, I've heard that one before. Okay. Okay, get on with, let's get to something I haven't heard. Right? Hey, it's a good thing we'd be reminded of truth. I don't know about you all, but I need to be reminded of truth. If you go read First and Second Peter, 
and you just print it out on an 8 by 10 and probably take a couple 8 by 10 sheets of paper, and you begin to highlight every time Peter says, and they're not very long letters, they're not very long books of the Bible, every time it says, I write these things to remind you or so that you will remember, you'll be amazed how many times in those short little letters he says that. Because Peter knew that the people he was writing to didn't necessarily need some new truth. They just need to be reminded of what they already knew and apply that. And think about Peter and his last days of it, with Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you'll deny me. Not me. And what does he do? He denies Jesus three times. Not because he didn't know. It's because he practically forgot the truth that he knew. And most of the time, that's our problem. We don't need, most of the time, don't need more information. We just need transformation into things that we already know. At least that's for me. I might be the only one here this morning. That's the case. But we're just, you're going to hear some things this morning. You're just going to remind, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard about it before, and that's good. I hope you've heard it before. If not, I hope it, the first, it's the first time you see, hear it. It'll be an encouragement to you. It'll challenge you. It'll do a great work in your life. But I'm just telling you, that's the warning here. You're not going to go, man, that's, I can't believe I heard that, or that was something new. You're probably not going to happen, and that's a good thing. Well, let's now examine 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, where we're going to discover, discover three timeless truths in order to train yourself for guidance. Three timeless truths in order to train yourself for guidance. So I'm just going to go ahead and give them to you. I know some of you are note takers, so here they are. The diet for training yourself for guidance, the focus of training yourself for guidance, and the value of training yourself for guidance. So we have the, the, the diet, the focus, and the value. And again, these are just things that help me hang my hat on what the passage teaches. Okay, and we're going to be looking at the passage. You'll see these things clearly, and we'll expand on each one of them. Hopefully, it'll be an encouragement for all of us as we train ourselves for godliness. So let's begin and look at verse 6. Let me read this again for us. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Now notice that second half of, of, of verse 6 where it says, constantly nourished on the words of, faith, of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And here's where we see, that we, we see the first timeless truth to train, ourself, to, say, to train yourself to be godly. The diet for training yourself to, for godliness. Notice specifically the words constantly nourished. Constantly nourished. The, the NIV says brought in or brought, brought up in or brought up on. Okay, It's a compound word and it means in nourish or in fed. You're, you're being fed by something is what it means. It just, it just is the best translation we can have. Constantly nourished. All right, the word nourished. In order to grow, we need proper nutrition. Would you all agree with that? We need proper nutrition. And, and you can see that I haven't missed any nutrition on the physical side, okay? My mom made sure we ate three square meals a day. And a lot of times I was talking about my son the other day, James Robert, about some of the things we ate. We didn't have a whole lot. Um, my dad was a pastor of a small little church in, 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 on the Kentucky, on, in Kentucky, up in northeastern Kentucky, and didn't have a whole lot. We ate liver and onions. Mm, all right, we ate, we, ate, we, ate, we ate chicken livers, and I did like those because they were fried. <laughs> and if you fry anything, it can be good. We ate things like that. But you know what? They had the nutrients. We had lots of mashed potatoes. We had our vegetables. We didn't have dessert very much because it was more expensive. We didn't have cereal very often because cereal was expensive. We had a lot of eggs. And I'm the shortest of my two brothers. I'm 6'2", my oldest brother is 6'5", my youngest brother is 6'4". So we didn't lack 
proper nourishment. We, my mom understood in, four, in, four, in order for her three boys to grow up, they needed proper nourishment. So I think I'd rather not have proper nourishment if I had to eat liver and onions, and that's what I felt too. All right, but hey, my mom understood this, this principle physically. In order to train ourselves for godliness, we need the right diet. We need the right diet. The, the words here, constantly nourished, are in the present tense. And we talked about this before, the present tense means an ongoing reality. It needs to happen not just once, but over and over and over and over again. It must happen daily. And, and what is the proper daily diet or nutrition to train yourself to be godly? Well, look at with me the next words here in verse 6. Oops, sorry, we're just... In verse 6, look what it says. It says, on the words, be nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. The proper diet consists, first of all, the words of, listen to this, and there, there's a definite article there, not uh, the words of faith, the words of the faith. And this is synonymous in Paul's writing with the gospel. The gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again. It's the gospel that teaches us that God is holy and just and loving and, 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 and all these amazing things, but he's, that he calls us to be holy as well. And the Bible teaches us that mankind, men and women, we sin. We, therefore, we're separated from God. We don't, we're not holy. We bring, instead of making glory, bringing glory to God, we bring glory to ourselves. And the Bible also teaches that that separates us from God. And we're under God's justice. But here's the good news. This is why it's called the gospel, which means good news, is that he provided a substitute to pay for our sin. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin that we might be forgiven and made right with him. Isn't that good news? And the Bible says we respond to that by turning. We repent from trusting in ourselves and we trust in God's provision of his son for, our, for us. That is the gospel. That's what it means the words of the faith is what make the truth that makes us right with God. All right. Not only that, the proper new, new diet consists of the sound doctrine. Look what it says there. And this is teaching that applies the gospel in God's word in every aspect of our life. It applies the truth, the person and work of Jesus Christ to our lives in every way. That's the sound doctrine. The word doctrine, many of you have heard, maybe you heard the word doctrine. It said, there's into doctrine. You know what doctrine means? Teaching. It means teaching. That's all it means. Sound teaching. That's all the word doctrine means. And hopefully we're all into sound teaching, right? Uh, sometimes we hear the word doctrine, we kind of go like this. What's teaching? It's teaching about the application of the gospel in our life. And essentially, it's God's word that does this in our life in every way. Look what... Paul writes in 2 Timothy, which we will get to eventually, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness. Why? Look what it says. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what sound teaching does, sound doctrine, the sound doctrine that's the, the, why we need this as part of our spiritual nutrition is so we will be equipped for every good work. It's God's word that must be our daily diet. My sophomore year in college, when I was playing college football, I, uh, I, I discovered something. Proper nutrition for an athlete. Before I just kind of took in, I mean, I was kind of three square meals a day, like my mom told me, and about 17 snacks a day and all those kind of things, and just taking food in. And I didn't really think a whole lot about what was going on in my body. 
but, but, but I began to, began to do some research about having the proper diet for a competitive athlete. So I did, read, this is for the internet, I was looking up in books and magazines and, and researching what would be the proper nutrition. I found out for me that would be, that's not for everybody, and I don't, I'm not on this diet, well, I may be a little bit on this diet too, that's probably a little overweight, but um, I, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody. For me, when I was burning calories like crazy, it was high protein, high complex carbohydrates, low in fat. And you stack the hard carbohydrates a couple of days before you're getting ready to compete. That was what I discovered. So I, I, got, I got committed to this thing. I had one dessert a week. I'd tell the ladies at our training table, hey, what are we having for dessert this week? Give me all week so I could pick one. That's all I had. It was the only sugar I had all week, one dessert. And I, took, I just ate all these. Some of you go, that's crazy. I don't do that anymore. But, uh, um, but hey, that's what I did. Because I understood. And I, here's what I discovered. By eating like that consistently, is it helped my performance. I had more energy. What I did in the weight room made a bigger difference. And all of a sudden, my performance continued to go like this and this because I, I got into proper nutrition, and it made a difference for me as an athlete. And, and the diet for training ourselves for godliness is very similar to that. All right? It, it must, first of all, be constant and consistent. I couldn't be, you know, I'm, you know, this week I think I'll eat like this, and next week I'll eat like this. No, I had to be committed to it. I was so committed to it. I'm not, again, like this. I was, when I graduated, I was 6'2", 240 pounds, and I had 7% body fat. That's how committed I was to that diet. If I wasn't committed to that diet, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I was actually undersized for the position I played. So I went to the pros. Most of the guys that played my position were about 6'5". All right? So I had to maximize my performance. I had to maximize the things I was good at. It wasn't being tall and weighing 260. It was being 6'2", 240, and could run. So I had to maximize that. So that's, I was committed to that every single day. And spiritually, we need to be committed. It must be constant and consistent daily. Now, think about this. We can't, I'm going to make a statement. We can't keep living off, or yes, off of yesterday's manna. Let me say that again. We can't keep living off of yesterday's manna. Manna. So let me explain that to you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. In, in, in Israelite, the Israelites, when they were wandering in the wilderness, God provided, he promised he'd provide food for them. And the way he provided for them, every day they would come out and there would be this thing called manna. And the manna, actually, is, it's a question, what is it? Um, and that's what they called it. What is it? And it was, it was basically like a little, I don't know if it was, it was like cornflakes, but it was all over the ground, right? And they could go and they'd take manna, all right, for their family, all right, for the day, and they would eat that manna. Sometimes he would provide meat as well, but he provided manna every single day. It would just be on the ground. Some of you are like, man, if frosted flakes were on the ground every day, it would be awesome. And that's what was there. So they'd take it every day. Now, let me ask the question. What would happen if they saved some of that manna for the next day? It would rot. It would rot. It would be no good. He was teaching them to rely on him every day. Some of us are still living off of yesterday's manna. Some of us are living off the devotion we read three months ago that was just so good. Or that one verse that we got three months ago. Oh, man, it was so good. Not that it's not true. We're still trying to live off that with no new manna every day. And ultimately, not that God's word becomes stale, but we just, okay, same old, same old, right? We've got to rely on God every single day to feed us. That's what this means, be consistent. We can't rely on yesterday's manna. We need to take in new manna every day of God's word, daily. It must be consistent. It must also consist of God's word. It must consist of God's word, not, oh, this, I heard this great song. I'm going to just kind of listen to songs. And I'm wrong with listening to songs every day. But it's got to consist of God's word, and we'll see why here in a second. So let me ask a question. It, all right, what is your plan 
to daily take in God's word, the diet for training for godliness. What's your plan? See, if you plan to fail, you fail to plan. I mean, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Let me say that again. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you have no plan, you won't do it. We plan for everything. Now, we may not write it down, but all of us plan for things that are important to us. I guarantee you we do. So if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. So let me just give you something. This is going to be super practical. And again, this is going to go, oh, I've, never, I've heard this before, but let me just give you a simple plan, all right? With God's word. We need to read God's word. We need to read it. We need to just read God's word. Pick out, okay, I'm going to get a reading plan. There's so many great reading plans out there right now. But you can read it one chapter a day. Read through the New Testament in a year. Read through the Bible in a year. Man, if you read through a book in, in a certain amount of time, whatever it is, just read God's word, right? Memorize God's, or first of all, meditate on God's word. Meditate. How do you do that? It's not this, mm. all right, that's not meditating. The, the meditating the world is getting things out of your mind. The Bible tells us we're to put things in our mind. That's meditation. That's meditation. We meditate on God's word. We think about it. And wait, here's what I do. I write things down. It helps me meditate to think things. I'm, I'm observing here, and I'm reading along, and I, I'm writing down something that just stuck out to me. It may, it's making me meditate to think about it more deeply than just reading it. I need to read it, and then I meditate. I, I think I told you all that, that I'm, I, I'm in my third one right now. I'm annotating a Bible. For my third son, I've already done my oldest son and my oldest daughter. I'm annotating the whole Bible, and I, and I give it to him, and I'm done. And that helps me as I write down to meditate on God's word, to think about it. What does that mean? How does that relate to this? I'm meditating on his word. Then, then, we mem- then memorize it. Memorize God's word. Hey, a lot of people tell me they cannot memorize, and you can. Most of the people I can tell, I can walk around this room, and I can ask you what your, was your first phone number, and you can tell me. And you hadn't lived in that place for 40 years. Why did you, how did you know you still know it? Because you said it over and over and over and over again. You, there's lots of things we have memorized. So people can't say, I can't memorize. No, I'll just be as honest. You don't want to memorize, all right? Let's be honest, right? You can. Everybody can memorize. Yes, some people it comes to more easily. But just take one verse a week or one verse a month. Say it five times every day. Think about it, and you'll have it memorized. My wife and I meet with another couple in our, in our church here every week, and if we're not, we, 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 we send a video, and we're memorizing verses together. And it's just an encouragement. We're writing God's word in our hearts, so memorize God's word. And then pray God's word. I love this. I pray God's word every day. I take a passage of Scripture, and I pray it for a certain group of people, different people every day. I pray the principles of that passage of Scripture. Because it says if we pray God's will, right, he hears us, right? And what is God's will? His word. Pray his word. Maybe just whatever you're reading, something jumps out, and that's usually what I do. I'm, something, I'm reading something, it jumps out, and I grab that passage of Scripture, and I pray according to that Scripture for those people and for those situations. Right? This is taking in, this is the proper diet we need to grow in godliness, to, to train ourselves for godliness, to read, meditate, memorize, and pray his word. We could, I could add three or four more things. That's probably enough. If we just did that every day, imagine what would happen. I still remember hearing my mentor teach for the very first time. I think I've shared this story before, but I was in college at an FCA, a Fellows Christian Athletes, all these college athletes from the state of Kentucky, about 300 were there, and he went, he taught, the very first time, he taught through the whole Bible in one setting in about 45 minutes and told us where Jesus was in all 66 books of the Bible. And I was like, and he did it with passion. That wasn't like, like super egg-headed. He was like, oh my gosh, this guy really knows God. And I went, how'd you know that? And he says, well, for the last 25 years, I've spent every day in God's word. 
Because I thought, I said, I'll never be there. I'll never understand God's word like that. I don't know if I understand God's word like Bob did, because he just kept doing that rest of the life until he passed away a few years ago. But I, you know what? I understand God's word a lot more, and I'm closer to God, and I'm walking more in godliness than I was then. You just take one day at a time and see where God takes you, all right? Well, and all of this, by doing this, it will protect you from the lies of verse 3 that we saw. It will protect us from being, being influenced by those lies. Look with me now at verse 7 in our passage. But Okay. How about a PowerPoint here? It's not, it decided to stop working on me. If I turn it off, I'm back on. Sorry about that. There we go. Verse 7. Okay, verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And here we see the second timeless truth to train yourself to be godly. The second timeless truth. The focus of training yourself for godliness. The focus. Right? Verse 7 begins by telling us what we're not to be focusing on. Right? Notice verse 7. All right, it says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for only for old women. All right? First, have nothing to do with it. It's, this, it's a really a strong word. It says reject. Reject. Do not focus on those things. Reject. Get those things out of your life. And I know you're all waiting for the next one. All right? You're waiting for the next phrase. I get it, okay? All right? We're, we're, we're to reject or not have a focus on worldly fables fit only for old women. All right? First, see, look at the words for worldly fables. Some of your translations say godless myths, irreverent, they're profane. All right? Not to have anything to do with them. And it says fables fit only for old women. Or some translations say old wives' tales or old wives' fables. This phrase, it's not meant to be sexist, I promise you, is actually used in the day by philosophers of the day to indicate silly stories passed back and forth between old women that didn't contain any truth. There's just stories, and the stories got bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you men start laughing, yeah, yeah those women. Hey, it's basically like old, old man's fish stories now, right? Hey, you know, at first the, the fish was about this big. Fact is, you probably didn't catch a fish at all, but it starts off this big, and the more you tell, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, you, you, you caught a great white shark out here in the Lake of the Ozarks. There's no truth. It's silly. It's silly. That's the it's, it's just silly myths, fables that aren't true. All right, so don't, don't tell, oh, can you believe Paul? He's just using a, a term that was used by philosophers of the day in the Greek culture that he lived in and the, and the church of Ephesus lived in so they would understand it. Does that make sense? There's no sexist thing here at all. Maybe by the philosophers, but not by Paul. He's just using something that they would relate to. All right, he uses these words to describe what the false teachers were teaching. He said they're silly, they're, made, they're, they're, they're profane, they're, they're not godly, they're worldly. And they're just silly. They're just myths. They're not true. In order to train for godliness, our focus must not be on the lies that the false teachers are teaching, but on the word of God. Many of you have heard this before when it comes to counterfeit bills. Okay, the Treasury Department has people who are trained in spotting counterfeit bills. Do you know how many counterfeit bills there are out there, different kinds? I mean, all kinds, thousands probably. But you know, the, these Treasury agents, what they do that deal with counterfeiting is they take the real thing. And they study just the real thing. They don't look at any of the false ones. They study the real thing. They flip it over. They look at it so intensely. So once the, uh, one of the false ones come by, oh, that's false. It doesn't matter how many different kind of false ones there are. They can spot it because they've studied the real thing. Their focus has been on God's word. Well, our focus has been on God's word. That's what we're supposed to be. Their focus has been on that one bill. 
That's it, not all this other stuff. To focus, and we're to focus on God's word. And, and, but he also describes not only what we're not to focus on and what we're to focus on, but also the intensity of our focus to train for godliness. Look at the word discipline there, all right? Go back here. The word discipline. The word discipline, or the word train in your translation, comes from the word where we get gymnasium. All right, gym. We're going to go to the gym or gymnasium, right? And it's a very familiar term pointing to physical exercise. It was used to describe those who trained to compete in the, 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 the uh, games or the Greco-Roman games, very much like we have the Olympic games today, all right? Physical training was held in high esteem in the Greek culture and, and, and the culture here in Ephesus. And the word literally means to train naked. That's what it means. This word gymnasium, you're thinking, oh, I, I haven't been to the gym in a while, but <laughs> I didn't know it was that. Well, that's what it is. That's not what we do now, but train naked. And, and here's, here's the picture, all right? Don't get that picture out of your mind, all right? Here's the picture I want you to have in your mind, okay? It means have nothing that would distract you from being at your best physically to compete. You're, you're putting off everything, everything, so you can focus on one thing. I'm going to get stronger, faster, physically, Right? And, 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 and it, it took intense focus to be at your best to compete. You, you, you could not focus on anything else in order to be ready to compete. And the same goes spiritually. He's wanting us to have intense focus, to train. The word train or discipline, train yourself for godliness. And that means you have to have an intense focus on the word of God. So what does this look like? when it comes to the focus of training for guidance. Here's a couple of passages I love that will help us understand this. 2 Timothy 1.5, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Some of you remember Awanas, approved workmen are not ashamed. That's where, this, that's where we got this verse, all right? Awanas was a program, it's still out there that helps us understand God's words, it's for kids, all right? But let, be diligent, be diligent, focus. You must be diligent, focus. Another one I love, Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He set his heart. He set his heart. He said, I'm gonna focus right here because I know how important this is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the task at hand, he set his heart to do that. That's how intensely he was focused. So, what does the intense focus lead to? Notice there, back in verse 7, the word godliness. It leads to godliness. Uh, those who have awe or respect or reverence for God, it leads to a life of obedience that comes from this reverence. We don't use this word anymore, but I wish we did. You ever heard about somebody, well, that's a God-fearing person. You ever everybody say that? Not very often anymore. That's, that, that's a good thing. He says a person who really loves the Lord is following after him. Is God-fearing. That's the idea here. It makes us God-fearing. Godliness. This ties back into the end of chapter 3 that Jay taught on a few weeks ago, and I mentioned last week too, verse 16, which says that true godliness springs forth from and finds its source in the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's where godliness comes from. It springs from the, 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 the truth from the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that can only come if we know what it is. If we spend time focusing on him and who he is and we find that in his word. 
Godliness comes from God the Son and his work in our life. I love this passage of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This idea of godliness. First of all, what, look, notice it doesn't say work for. It says work out. Work out what's already been worked in. Okay? And then it says, for it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we take in God's word, he uses his word to work out, work out what he's already worked in. And it's an attitude and a life of godliness. This godliness comes from not focusing on error, but at having intense focus on the truth. Now look at verse 8 with me. Our last verse in our passage, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here we see our third timeless truth, to train yourself to be godly. The value of training yourself for godliness. The value of training yourself for godliness. And, and here Paul is doing it, comparing, contrasting the value of physical training to the value of spiritual training. Notice what he says about physical training. You're, you're, the body of discipline is only of little profit. Profit means value. It, it does have some value. Physical training has some value, which we could all attest to that. Now, notice what he says about spiritual training. But godliness is profitable for all things. Spiritual training that leads to godliness does not just have value or profit for here and now, but all things, he says. And he explains that in the last part of verse 8 by saying this, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It has eternal value. Jesus spoke about this many times in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Look what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in the still, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. That is training for godliness. In verse 8, Paul is emphasizing the superior and supreme value of godliness that comes from training yourself through focusing on God's word. And, and just to be honest, if many people in our world today would spend as much time training for themselves, training themselves for godliness as they do, training their physical bodies, taking on the latest workout plan, the latest diet, the latest fad and all that, spend as much time as they did on that every day, on God, it trained themselves for godliness, and they would see the superior and supreme value of training for godliness over training for physical benefit. Well, how can we respond to God's word this morning? Well, first of all, let me say godliness, not fame, not prestige, power, or popularity, is the goal of all followers of Jesus. Godliness having a life that is in awe of who God is and that showing up in our life and what we think and what we do. We should all want to do that, all of us. Is that your goal? Is that your goal, to, to be godly? And again, that may have a negative connotation in our culture, but not in God's word. Godliness is a good thing. We should want to be people who are called God-fearing. It's a compliment well, if that's your goal, then you must take seriously these three timeless truths that we looked at. The diet, the focus, and the value of training yourself for godliness. And by God's grace, you've got to come up with a plan to intensely focus on his word. You've got to come up with a plan. 
read, meditate, memorize, pray, which he will then use to produce godliness for his glory and your good. And don't just come up with a plan, but put the plan into action. And I would just encourage you, start off small. Oh, I'm going to read 17 chapters of the book of John today. Yeah, good luck for that. And then I'm going to start in Deuteronomy or Leviticus. Not going to last. Start small. Hey, just start with one verse a day. That'd be great. Meditate on one verse a day. Write something down about that. Memorize that verse. Pray that verse. Just start off and do that every single day and see what happens. Take God as word. Train for the purpose of godliness. And it'll be for his glory and for your good. See, in Jesus, when he prayed to the Father in John 17, look what he prayed. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. If we're going to be sanctified, which means to be set apart or be holy or to be godly, all right, in this world, all right, it will be done through the word of God. It will be done through the word of God. I've never met a godly person who was not training in God's word some way. And you say, well, I can't read. Well, hey, you know what? We have things that, that, that um, you can listen to it now. Somebody can read it to you. You would think, well, how about those people who couldn't? How about Helen Keller who could not see or hear? And she read through the Bible every single year in Braille. Every single year. She couldn't hear. She couldn't see. There was a way. And even people who, we, we can find a way who people are struggling, maybe physical, to help them. But in general, right? Most of us, we don't have a problem with those things, do we? If it, God has said it through his word, and Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. It's going to be through his word. And he'll use his word in our life to make us more like Jesus. So by God's grace, let's be people that are training for Godness, for his glory. And if you're not part of his family yet, you're wondering, what is all this about? Why would I want to train for Godness? Well, I want to encourage you to think about what I said earlier about the good news, that God is holy and loving and just, and he loves you, but he is just, and therefore he will punish sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We make much of ourselves, not him. And he says that separates us from him, and we deserve his justice, which ends up in a place called hell, because he's just, he is just God, but he is loving and he sent Jesus to die for that. And he says if we would turn from trusting in ourselves and our own good works, turn from the deceitfulness of sin, and trust in what Jesus did right, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we'd be made right with him, we'd be forgiven, we could be part of his family, and we could know what godliness is all about. I pray if you've never done that, you'd do that today. When we're done here, we're going to have people up, couples up at the front. If you want to talk to somebody about that, just you need, you need prayer for something. Hey, I, I need help with a plan to train for godliness, we have people up here who can help you with that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this simple truth that we probably, most of us have heard before. That, Lord, you call us to train for, to be godly. And, Lord, you give us everything we need to train for that. You even give us the desire and the power to train so that we can be godly and know the joy and the fulfillment of walking in godliness by knowing the, who Jesus is, not just intellectually, but deep down in the recesses of our heart. Lord, help us do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close here, I just want to have been reminded that uh, 
just remind you all, we're gonna, we, we're gonna, we have our fall festival out here. You can tour the new facilities. We've got free food, free food, okay, physical food, all right, out here, bounce house for the kids, great time to fellowship with each other. Just encourage you to stay um, and, and, and just have a great time with, with each other. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to ask you to stand before we leave. And I'm, I'm going to, this is Ephesians 4, 13 through 19, and this is something that Paul prays for the church of Ephesus. Now remember that Timothy is in Ephesus when Paul writes 1 Timothy. So these are people that Paul, he, he prayed, for the, prayed this for people that Timothy was working with. All right, and I'm, I'm going to make this my prayer for you today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in, earth, in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.